This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv. An unmatched dual threat. Welcome to this week's edition of the Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week we continue Christmas in July, also known as Ski Month. Michael Silver is giving us whiplash with all these George Kittle reports, but we've got your updates in the rundown. And with me this week to tell us all about why Lil Bow Wow is the greatest rapper of all time, it's David Newman. Whoa, 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 whoa. Enough with this slander. I will do no such thing. You tell me why this is the case. I've got questions for you, Newman. First of all, a little backstory. So we, I have a cousin who is in love with bows. She has a one-year-old baby. Or, uh, yeah, one-year-old baby. And this baby has bows that are probably too big for a 12-year-old on this child's head. And, and she, you know, she's part, of, she's part of the family. She's super excited about having uh, another little baby girl in the family. And so she's like, I'm going to send you a package. Just wait. Just wait. I'm like, oh, God. Oh, God. What's it going to be? I was hoping it was going to be like Harry Potter loafers or something cool, you know? Um, but instead, it's, it's a box of like 350 bows. And these bows are huge. I mean, they're ginormous. They are like, they would, they would look out of place on a fashion show runway in Milan. Like, it just, it, they, they just are garish. And the, but you know what? The, the, some, you might be able to pair them with something cute. You know how it goes. Like, whatever. We're, we're trying to figure it out. We're trying to be inclusive and part of the family. It's, you know, it is what it is. But... I, I tell I'm texting David and I say the only bow my daughter should be worried about. And as I'm loading up a picture of Navarro Bowman, David Newman hits me with a little bow wow. And so, I don't know why. I don't know why your brain immediately went to little, of all the bows. We just did a podcast on the bow concept and I mean, you went to I mean, little bow fair. wow. Uh, this is the 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 train of thought here, right? Okay, so you you left out an important part, which was like I had made some offhand comment before then about how hopefully she's really into bows when she's eight years old and they actually fit her, right? And so you made the comment like the only bow that I hope she's interested in at eight years old or whatever. And so my mind is already target audience eight years old, 
and you, the way, and this is coming through text, and you capitalize Bo, and so it just immediately connected. Eight years old, capital Bo or Bow, hmm, maybe could be Bow Wow. Yeah. Like that's just it just popped in there, and also it was kind of a, a funny gif. Um, and so there's that. I will never apologize for sending a funny gif. What's your favorite Lil Bow Wow song? Do you, do you, do you have one, or maybe just the one where you know all the lyrics to? Uh, the better question should be, can you name a Lil Bow Wow song? Um, well, I don't which know, man. I don't you think can... I can right now. <laughs> uh, de- can you walk me through his thought process to when he changed his name legally to Bow Wow and dropped the Lil uh, and, and walk me through why that was a seminal moment in his life? Look, man, at some point you're just not Lil anymore. I don't know. <laughs> I don't make the rules. Let's get to the rundown, though, because we've got lots of George. We don't really have lots of George Kittle updates. We just have a George Kittle non-update update, which is there is deal progress. On July 31st, Mike Silver said that George Kittle's agent replied to him with an inchworm emoji when asked about contract progress. And now, just a few days later, 10, 11, 12 days, I don't know what day it is, uh, but now there's been, quote, significant progress in the contract negotiations. I am in no way, shape, or form worried about whether or not this deal gets done, yep. it's really just a matter of time. And so well, I think in a pod in May, we we talked about like how much is too much for George Kittle. And we said really anything in like that 14, 15, 16 million dollar range is where we would expect the deal to come in. Still think that's going to provide value for the 49ers. And the only thing that's going to really be like, oh, I don't know, maybe you squint at is if it gets up into like the 19, 20 million range, which is like top number one receiver. That was in May. I don't know that much has changed. I don't think the deal will not get done. I do think they're going to have to get a little creative because of the cap and COVID next year. But really, it's just a waiting game at this point. And I'm okay with waiting. He's at camp. He's going to play. And it's fine. Yeah. I mean, uh, all all of those things I uh, completely agree with. I, I think, yeah, it really comes down to uh, I think we can feel confident that something's going to get done at some point. Um, we can feel confident that he's going to be the highest paid tight end in football, probably by a pretty significant margin. And again, like you mentioned, as long as he doesn't venture up there into that like real top end receiver type money. So right now you've got like six wide receivers um, with contracts that average 18 million or more a year. Um, I think as long as he's not like joining that group, um, you're feeling great about whatever it is that you're paying him. Yeah. Now, other news is that the Niners are in, are interested in Tavon Austin. They've brought him in or will be bringing him in for a workout. And it seems like the Niners are really worried about some depth here because Travis Benjamin opted out. Richie James has an injured forearm. And Tavon Austin, he's got some speed. He actually did play football, contrary to your belief, David, uh, the last couple of years. And uh, <laughs> it seems like the Niners are trying to get some depth for a position that um, maybe the top is is a bit more subtle than you would think. But uh, for camp, they definitely need some depth. Sure. Yeah. Camp. Bodies. Awesome. Need him. Yeah. I mean, like my, my reaction when I saw this item in the agenda was like, wait, Tavon Austin, when was the last time he played football? Like, was he actually yeah. on a field last year? So, yeah, I mean, I, I can't imagine um, that, you know, any, much of it, like anything comes from his signing. If he sticks on the roster and actually plays um, any sort of meaningful snaps, like I, I really think it, it does ultimately come down to just being a camp body. Um, I think we've talked about, you know, there's maybe a small window at the beginning of the season. Um, if you know, there are injuries, I mean, they're already going to be potentially down Debo Samuel if, if things start on time. So like you start to add those things into the mix, 
then sure, like maybe someone like Tavon Austin can um, squeeze out a role for like a few weeks until guys get healthy. But ultimately, barring that scenario, like I don't think there's anything to make of it. I'd be interested to see if Tavon Austin does secure the week the week one roster spot because of his status as a vet. I think he's got enough accrued seasons where if he's on the roster for week one, his salary is guaranteed for the entire year. That's why a lot of vets get cut like right before in final cutdowns and they get brought back immediately afterwards because that way the team's not on the hook for their for their full guaranteed salary, which is really shitty. But that's that's unfortunately the way of the world. And and but there is going to be a, a window where if Debo Samuel, I mean, he's starting on the NFI list. If he all of a sudden isn't available for the first six weeks of the season, now it's it's a little bit different situation. I think if Austin is going to make the roster, it may be more as a punt returner slash gadget player. Because really, this is the the role that Richie James had, and if Richie James uh, is not able to come back from injury and and be successful, then all of a sudden you have kind of a void at punt returner. And Shanahan doesn't like to expose his prize wide receivers to punt returners, so you're not going to have Brandon Ayuk back there. That that I think would be a mistake. And, and typically, this goes to that third or slot wide receiver. Players like Richie James, uh, Trent Taylor. I think Travis Benjamin was going to compete for punt returner, and now. Austin basically slots in into the role that that Travis Benjamin was going to fill. And Austin has had some decent years returning kicks. I mean, in 2018, he averaged about 8.7 yards per return. For his career, he's averaged about 8.4. I think last year, Richie James averaged 8.3. Um, so he's had he's had some solid punt return years. Uh, and if he doesn't make in the roster, then with his speed, I could totally see the, the Shanahan having a couple of gadget plays for him like they've had for Richie James. If you remember the pinball screen. Richie James had like a 54, 57-yard reception on a screen. Uh, plays like that, ultimately, I think, are, are what kind of things you will expect from Tavon Austin if he even makes the roster, which I think at this point is a pretty big if. Yeah, exactly. Like to me, if, yeah, I think everything about role that you said, I, I completely agree with it. It comes down to if he's on the roster, it's very likely because something went wrong with players that should be on the roster ahead of him. Yeah, and I think this is an interesting philosophy, or not philosophy, but an interesting strategy that Anders are employing because now we're beginning to see a trend with players like Jason Verrett, Jordan Reed, and Tavon Austin, where you bring in a veteran, and it's a low, it's a it's a talented veteran because Tavon Austin was a first round wide receiver. Jordan Reed has also had has has had some success. Jason Verrett also highly drafted and had some success as well. Where maybe it's it's a low risk deal from a monetary perspective. If that player regains their form, fantastic. But it's like, can they beat out the young guy? Or perhaps more importantly, can the young guy beat out the old vet? Uh, where you create some of that competition um, in case the young guy can't or in case the young the old guy regains form. Um, it's not a bad strategy to try to hit on value, right? Try to get some of those cast-off pieces that have some talent. And if you hit on one, fantastic. And if not, it costs you close to nothing. Um, so, you know, why the hell not? It's not, it's not a terrible bottom-of-the-roster strategy. Yeah, for sure. I mean, those are the the late free agency signings, you know, that we always talk about, um, or even sometimes earlier free agent signings, right, where you're uh, basically playing this low risk, high reward game. Um, I don't know that I would call Tavon Austin a high reward caliber player. But um, yeah, I mean, obviously, I think there is at least some athletic ability there and, and some ability to like fit into this kind of like smaller, more specialized role. What did Tavon Austin do to you? Did he did he slander Lil Bow Wow at some point in his life that that you just don't? Are you serious? You know, when is when has Tavon Austin actually ever been good? Like, are you confusing? <laughs> are you thinking it's Percy Harvin here or something like that? Like, uh, Percy Harvin actually good. Tavon Austin never actually. <laughs> Tavon Austin was good at West Virginia, 
So there's there's that. You might be thinking of that, I don't know, almost 10 years ago. Um, yeah, like, I don't know. He's not, he hasn't done anything in the NFL. Well, let's get to the meat of the episode. Let's talk about Shanahan's favorite concepts. Last week, we broke down first down and third down, uh, some of his preferred concepts, and also some concepts we just thought were fun. We also put up a video of the plays we discussed on the Patreon. So if you want to get some of the visuals, you can go to patreon.com forward slash better rivals to see those videos. This week's episode is going to be all about specialized situations. We're going to talk about the red zone. We're going to talk about two minute offense. And we're going to talk about what Shanahan likes to do when the 49ers are trailing in the fourth quarter. Not a situation they find themselves in often, but one that we thought we would take a peek at. So as a reminder, the framework for these episodes is that we're going to give you a big picture view of the 49ers' success, or in some cases, lack thereof in these situations, and their general plan of attack. Then we'll drill down a little further into one of Shanahan's favorite concepts in that situation, or one of our favorites that exemplifies Shanahan's approach in that situation. And then we'll talk about how those concepts attack defenses, building on the previous episodes that we did in this scheme month where we talked about both how to identify coverages and then how to attack them. And we're going to limit the scope of review. So just like we did with the base concepts last week, we're going to talk about how the specialized situations dictate the scope of plays that we're looking at a bit more so we don't have to boil the ocean and we can filter a lot of plays out. So we're still looking at plays where the score is within eight points, a one possession game. The line of scrimmage is between the 20s, unless otherwise noted, right? Like in the red zone, which we'll get to here in a second. And we're specifically omitting screens. They're their own special family. And so we're just going to kind of put them to the side. So let's get to the first, speciali- the, the first specialized situation, situational football, and that's going to be the red zone. David, talk to me about the big picture of the 49ers success uh, in the red zone and what the play sample was like that we, looked, that, that we sifted through. Yeah, so 67, uh, 67 plays in our sample, and, and we're going to obviously go against one of our caveats right off the bat here. So um, this is specifically looking at plays run inside the opponent's 20 rather than the ones uh, between the 20s, which is kind of where we've been focused on a lot of the other splits that we're looking at. And when you go into the Fournier's production here, um, certainly not not bad by any stretch, um, but definitely not as good as some of the base situations that we looked at last week, right? So if you remember back to first down and third down, uh, the Fournier's were great in both those situations. Um, maybe the best team um, when you went to that kind of situation neutral look at those downs, um, maybe the best team on uh, third down and one of the top teams on first down as well. Definitely more middle of the pack once you got into the red zone. So they were 13th in EPA per play, which is going to be kind of that measure of, you know, just overall measure of team offense, right? How much is what you're doing getting you closer to scoring points? Um, and then when you look at even the players' individual performances down in the red zone, you, you look at them down to 10th in the PFF team offense grade. So again, not bad, but certainly not um, kind of that top end elite type production that we saw with them on on some of the base downs. Now, one of the concepts they love to use in the red zone area is they really like to get the quarterback on the move. And so the the concept that we'll look at here is called keeper or keep really that's going to be the kind of the family of plays. They've, they've got lots of different keeper looks, but keeper is ultimately the thing that we're going to look at here. And so what is keeper? Well, keeper is in the 49ers package of movement passes. And just like it sounds, it's going to involve the quarterback giving you some kind of play action and then keeping the ball and moving it out of the pocket. And so there's going to be lots of ways the 49ers try to set this up, but they're largely all going to have the same formula. You're going to get that flat route. 
typically is going to be someone coming out of the backfield or someone on a slide route. It's going to have a deep outbreaking route, typically a corner or a comeback. And then you're going to have an intermediate crossing route. And this is usually going to come from the backside of the play. And so on that flat route, we talk about the slide, which is where you get one of the name of the concepts that Shanahan likes to use, which is keeper slide, which is going to indicate what the quarterback does. And also the slide route that is going to be that flat route that's going to be highly targeted. If you're a Niners fan and you've watched Niners football, you, you can recall this play immediately. They've run it several times yeah. because you know it's going to be the fake. You know the quarterback's going to go on that boot action. And you're going to get that three-level attack to the defense that the Niners have been able to use depending on the game plan with great success. Right. And and like you mentioned, this is a pretty prototypical like Shanahan offense play, right? This is by no means something that is limited to just the red zone. Um, you know, that was something kind of when you look at their red zone attack as a whole, uh, it, it's difficult to pin down even like one thing to kind of talk about, right? Because they are pretty varied there. Um, but it, it's, it's, this is definitely something that they go to, um, you know, about as much as they go to it in any other situation, any other base situation. It's a big part of their offense. And um, we know that they want to, you know, actually run the ball a little bit more, even once they get down into the red zone. So you're, you're working off, that wide zone action. That's all the keeper stuff is really selling the wide zone stuff. Typically Um, they have a few variations on it, but they're usually, they really want to sell you on the wide outside run opposite of the direction they're actually going to send all of the receivers and have the quarterback boot out to. And it's, again, we, we kind of frame it in that like three grouping of uh, groupings of routes, right? Where you have the flat, you have the deep outbreaker, you have the intermediate crosser because they do get to those things in a bunch of different ways, right? So they have a, a ton of different formations that they can get to and um, a, a ton of different motions and variations to like make this stuff look different for the defense. But they're generally going to have at least three receivers out in the route and you're generally going to get somebody to all those levels of the field, right? So it's just going to depend like the outbreaker, for instance, if the receiver is aligned wide out to the sideline, well, that's probably going to be more of like a comeback where if he's in tighter to the formation, he's going to probably run more of a corner. So there's little variations like that. Um, you know, again, where the, the flat guy's coming from, is he just in the backfield? Is it a tight end on a slide route from the, the, the backside of the formation? So they're going to give you a bunch of different looks, but you're getting guys into those same three areas pretty much every time. Robert Mays had a really good article, I think today or yesterday, about Gary Kubiak. And there, there was a section in there that I thought was, was absolutely incredible. It was a quote from Gary Kubiak talking about really what's at the core of his system. And, and of course, Kubiak and Shanahan, Mike Shanahan, are intrinsically linked because they had such a long run in Denver together as head coach and, and offensive coordinator. And you, you could make the argument that there's a lot of Kubiak and Shanahan and and the Shanahan's all involved in this kind of soup that is this offensive system. And there's one thing that Kubiak said in that article where he said that really his his system is really based on deception. And and that's what this play is is this this play may be something that was that was pulled from that kind of era of plays because it's the play action, it's the wide zone, and then the slide route where you've got the the wide receiver or whomever is is running the route. In some cases, it's a fullback. In some cases, it's a running back is running across the formation. It's really hard to flow one way and then as a defender stop and recognize, oh no, this dude's running the other way, change direction and get there. All of a sudden that person's open because you don't need that much space in the NFL. And so it's that kind of deception and cross flow 
that is built into this play that helps make it really successful. And you see that in a couple of uh, instances where the Niners actually ran this back-to-back to two different players in the red zone and ended up scoring a touchdown specifically on that underneath route, on that slide route, because it's really hard for defenders to flow one way and then stop, change direction, and move the other. Yeah, it, it's just, um, it's it's a lot for those underneath defenders to be able to handle, right? Because again, as we have talked about at multiple points during ski month and, and have talked about a lot, you know, when just talking about play action, the reason play action is successful is not because of the, the effectiveness of your run game, right? It really is about selling the threat of the run and knowing that because defenders have their keys, that they're fo- the things that they're focused on immediately after the snap that are going to help them determine what they need to do on the play. Well, when you give them run keys, they have to react as if it's a run play, right? Because they have gaps that they're responsible for, things that they need to get to in their run fits so that they can be sound there. So when you show them that, even if it's only you know a step or two that they're taking, that can be enough to really swing them wildly out of position. And a lot of times, you know, on this stuff specifically, on the keeper stuff, the movement type passes that the 49ers do, we're talking a lot more than a step or two, right? It's a lot of times some real hard flow to the direction of the run, fl- the run fake. And then there's just like, there's nobody around on some of these throws. And so for the, you know, if they're in zone, the, the player that has the, the flat responsibility where, Uh, these slide routes are getting to it's so difficult for them to be able to like bail off the run key and be able to get out to that flat area before the player on the slide routes right by them and wide open and has a ton of space to work with and you know same thing if it's man coverage tracking that route that's going behind the line of scrimmage that really looks like a block you know that that route is selling effectively split zone action right where you're you're having that a blocker that starts on the play side working backside to kind of kick out that backside end. That's the action that they're selling with the slide concept. And so it, it looks like a block to start with. And then all of a sudden that guy's in the flat and it's too late for anyone to react. Yeah. So the, the combination of plays that we're talking about for the saints was third quarter at 10 28 and nine 46. It was literally back to back. They hit juice on a slide route for 15 yards, got down to the five yard line, and then they line up, run the exact same play again. And, and, but this time it's to Kittle. And he finishes for the touchdown on the next play for the the score. And it's also highlighting an interesting part of the the Shanahan, uh, the way that Shanahan attacks, which is he's going to give you the same concepts from multiple looks. And it will go to different people where in one case, it's going to be Juszczyk. In the next case, it's going to be George Kittle. And it's the same concept. It's the same play. It's the same route ultimately. But you present a different picture to the defense, which makes it more difficult for them to process even though as an offense, you're doing and repeating the same exact thing that you've done over and over and over again. So as an offense, you have an advantage because you're doing the things that you know. It's a slide route. It's yep. it's that that's the same concept, right? Which is keep or slide, but it's run from a different formation. It's run to a different person. And all of a sudden, you're able to score on back-to-back plays running the exact same concept against a Saints defense that wasn't terrible last year. Um, but, but was, uh, was still actually, uh, you know, it's still very, very effective when you run the same thing over and over again. So definitely a, a good way to attack in the red zone. And if you're a Niner fan, you know exactly what play this is, but it is one that Shanahan goes, goes back to. All right, let's get to the two minute offense. Let's talk a little bit about the big picture for the two minute offense. But before we do that, let's talk a little bit about Sunday ticket Sunday, Sunday, Sundays. 
they're like five A's there in the copy. I'm just going to go ahead. A's. Yeah. Sunday. I think the way they wanted it was like Sunday, Sunday, Sunday are coming back in the NFL with NFL Sunday ticket.tv. You can stream every live out of market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFL Sunday ticket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit SundayNFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. You know who else is back? It's Deal Dash, David. Have you ever heard of DealDash.com? I knew it. I have. Uh, I would hope so. Right here on this very podcast. That's right. We are getting it to the masses. We're, we're going to scream from the hilltops that Lil Bow Wow is amazing, <laughs> and so is DealDash.com. Oh, no. It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect. There may even be autograph little Bow Wow memorabilia auctioned off on this site. You'll never know unless you go. You never know. And you got you to you go to DealDash.com and at a price you'd never believe. Maybe a penny for that one. They have over a thousand auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, Everyone else has 10 seconds to answer, but the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, Deal Dash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon signup on top of their other discounts. Go to DealDash.com and use the offer code BLUEWIRE or DealDash.FM forward slash BLUEWIRE. That's D-E-A-L-D-A-S-H dot F-M forward slash BLUEWIRE. I don't know why there's a dot com dot F-M. I don't make the rules. But all I know is that I did not read that wrong. It is dealdash.com using the off code blue wire or dealdash.fm forward slash blue wire. Don't get it twisted, y'all. Look, we just want to give you options. All right. You know, dot com maybe doesn't work for everybody. Oh, man. If you're really a dot FM guy, like you've got we've got an option. Giving you. you options is one hell of a transition into the next concept that we're going to talk about, David. You're damn right. Oh, it my is. God. Did you plan that? I hope you planned it. And if you didn't, you're a. Yeah, You're a savant. De- def- definitely yeah. planned it. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about the two-minute offense because big picture, there were 42 plays in our sample. When you go to the production, there's a little bit of room for improvement here in that two-minute offense. Now, they weren't terrible. They were 12th in EPA per play and 13th in positive EPA percentage. Uh, but their PFF team offense grade for the situation was 30th. Meaning, Yikes. so how do you explain the delta between the two, David? What I would think is that basically the production was there, even if individual performances were not. Right. So exactly what they're measuring, right? So essentially EPA per play um, or positive EPA percentage, same thing there. They're, it's going to be more of an outcome based metric. Um, and so the results of the play is really the only thing that matters in terms of uh, determining how well you're going to do in that. Whereas with the, the PFF grades, we're looking at um, more of a process-based look, right? How well are the players actually performing on this play? And that's not always going to line up with the outcome of the play. And I think the, the best example of that, actually, and I think a big reason why that, that offensive grade is so low is because of Jimmy Garoppolo's grade in this situation, actually. So he was out of quarterbacks that had at least 25 dropbacks in two minute situations. Um, he was dead last lowest graded quarterback in that situation. Um, in, 
I think there's a few things to point out as to why that is. One, uh, and and probably the biggest thing is he had several. I, think, I believe it's three turnover-worthy plays in two-minute situations, but none of them actually resulted in turnovers. So he had some freebies where he basically threw it right at a defender, had the pick dropped, um, which is you know again a terrible play for him. I think one of them was would have been likely a pick six going the other direction um, if the defender is able to hold on to it. So it, it's procedurally a, a poor play from Jimmy Garoppolo, but when it comes to EPA per play, like it's not going to capture, it's just basically a zero, right? You didn't get any closer to scoring on that play. It's not really going to capture how negative it is. And then I, the other thing I think is that's going on there is so much of, and this gets a little bit into the general strategy for what the 49ers are doing from a two minute perspective. Um, but it's a lot of short, quick underneath throws. They, Um, really mix in a a pretty decent amount of quick game stuff in there. Um, You get a lot of choice routes, which we're going to get to as our concept here, but it's a lot of stuff that's thrown short. And, um, you know, you basically ended in a situation where Garoppolo uh, had one of the lowest average depths of target. Only Jared Goff had a lower number there. And on the throws that went 10 yards or more in the air, he was one of seven, right? Only completed one pass in two minute situations. Again, out of 42 plays in our sample, 42 pass plays, um, only completed one that traveled 10 yards or more in the air. Not ideal. Definitely not ideal. But let, let's talk about that concept. We've alluded to it a couple of times now, and, and that's the choice concept. So, David, what is the choice concept, and, and why is it effective against coverages, so much so that Shanahan likes to pull it from his hip and use it in two-minute situations? So, as has kind of been the theme, I think, with a lot of the concepts we're talking about, is it really is more of... Uh, like a family of plays, right? So they have uh, kind of, in this case, this one route that they build things off of, and then there's a lot of different variations that they can kind of pair with that to give the defense different looks. And so as its namesake would would suggest, um, this concept is really centered around the choice route. Um, and so the choice route is basically going to be a sort of option route for the receiver running it. Um, and, and kind of the main coaching points that they're looking at there for that choice route is they're going to kind of slow play it off the line of scrimmage, right? So you, the way they phrase it is you want to slightly miss the count. So it's going to be a little bit of a delay. You're not looking to fly off the line of scrimmage um, and, and push vertically. You want to kind of give it a moment to set the timing up of it, but you are eventually going to work your way to a depth of four to six yards. And at that point, the receiver based on the defense and and kind of where their coverage defender is at and that leverage will have a a potential three-way go, right? You can either break inside or outside if that defender is, you know, sitting, if you, so if you've got a a defender that's sitting hard inside leverage, right? I'm going to want to break away from that. I'm going to break outside. So I can go inside or outside, or if it's a zone coverage and I don't really have anybody that's immediately threatening me while well, I can just kind of sit down and, and turn around and show my numbers of the quarterback. And it ends up being just kind of a little, you know, spot route there where you just kind of turn around and, and get a quick throw. So that's the choice route. Now from a concept standpoint, really the only thing on that side of the field that you're going to get with it is they're going to typically have some sort of vertical route with the purpose of either just kind of clearing things out and, and taking away a defender, you know, usually like a deep defender or something like that, um, out of the picture on that side of the field. Um, or it'll sometimes be like something that might be like an alert, which is is really just the quarterback as he's dropping back and he's kind of reading this choice route. If he sees some sort of like breakdown and this vertical route is wide open, yeah, he needs to be aware of that 
and go ahead and hit it and take that deep shot. But it's not something that's really part of the actual progression on the play. So, but that's it. It's, it's really just that choice route, uh, some sort of clear out vertical route that's paired with it. And that's the choice concept on one side. And then there's a bunch of other things that they can do on the backside to pair with that. Yeah. At this point, you should be pretty familiar with the idea that Shanahan really treats his concepts like building blocks. And he, usually he will pair multiple building blocks in one play on opposite sides of the field. And so you've got the choice concept on one side. And then on the back side, you've got any number of concepts that he likes to give to his quarterback as a second and third option. If for whatever reason, the quarterback doesn't like that choice route. Think of maybe Gronkowski getting, you know, punt blocked when they've got two defenders there. He's running a choice route. And, and it's like, okay, maybe that's not the place I'm going to go. They're over committing resources right. here. I've got to go somewhere <laughs> else. And so one of the ones that, that you'll see Shanahan run every now and again is choice stucco. Basically, it's a backside number two receiver running a stick China route. He loves these routes that start one way and break back the other route. A stick route is basically just going to be a four to six yard route that then the China portion is going to break back inside. So stick China is a four to six yard stick route that breaks back inside. And that's going to be paired with a scout route. And this is basically a route that runs to a certain depth, kind of widens the the corner and then breaks out with a quick speed out. And so you, you can see numerous just backside concepts in addition to the the choice concept stucco being one of them but these building blocks he can deploy in lots of different ways and so he can say all right i can try to pick a matchup on one side of the field and then attack with a concept on the back side of the field and he's just building a play building a language and giving his quarterback options to give them the ability to read the field make the right decision and ultimately gain yardage yeah. And, and again, this is, it really is just like a concept designed first and foremost to get a specific player, the ball, right? It really does start with that choice route. And, and to be completely honest, like we probably could have picked choice as the concept for any single one of the situations that we've talked about, because it is a big part of their offense. It shows up a lot of the times. And, you know, I think especially in key situations, right? When you get to the third down stuff, especially, um, you know, again, we're talking, uh, two minute stuff here. Like it, it could be any of those key situations where they basically want to say like, okay, we think we have this matchup. We think our guy can beat their guy in this situation. What are we going to do? We're going to give him a choice route, right? We're going to give him options. We're not going to lock him into one thing. We're going to let him feel what the defense is presenting him, make the right decision to get open. Um, and then, you know, the quarterback is just kind of waiting for, for all that to happen essentially. So that's where it starts. And then again, the, the backside concepts really are just that they, they are secondary options. You're never starting the play when you call choice looking to go to that side first. Um, and so again, and then when we just get to like how it attacks coverages, we've kind of already talked about it, right? It's, it's because you have these options, you have these three options that no matter what the defense presents you, unless it's something extreme, like you mentioned with the Gronkowski example there, where you're just uh, getting doubled immediately from the snap, right? Any normal coverage type, um, as long as your player who's on the choice route makes the right read based on that coverage look and does the proper thing in his route, he should be able to get open and win that matchup. And the most famous the most famous example of this it last season was that Week 14 game against the New Orleans Saints. It's the fourth quarter. You know it. You've seen it a million times. 39 seconds left. It's fourth and two. Game on the line. And, and this is where Shanahan says, we're going to get the ball to our best player on a choice route. And it's to Kittle. 
and it's 39 yards, sets up the game-winning field goal. On the backside of that play, you've got a different concept, right? We talked about choice stucco as being one of the concepts before. On the backside, in this case, you had what we think is the water concept, which is a basic route, which is that kind of 12 to 14 yard uh, in-breaking dig and a shallow cross that's coming from the other side of the field. We can't know for sure because Marquise Goodwin gets bodied on his route. So we don't know exactly. Just getting abused at the line of scrimmage. It wasn't great, Bob. It was not great. Um, but that that's just another example where it's like, okay, we're going to try to get this ball to Kittle, but if for some reason we can't on fourth and two, we're going to have a high-low stretch on the other side of the field that's hopefully going to give us an option there as well. So this is a favorite of Shanahan, and especially with a wide receiver uh, or a tight end, depending on how it gets paid, uh, like Kittle, it, you're, you're going to want to get Kittle in space. You're going to want to get on the ball. Um, the Niners have lots of players that they can get the ball in their hands and let them do something in space. And so it's it's no surprise that something like Choice is going to be part of the repertoire. Yep. Um, and I, I guess the only other, the, like the final thought on there is like you're going to get this from an interior player, right? So you're never going to have a receiver lined up wide, like out by the numbers or wider as the widest um, player on their side of the formation. It's always going to come from either a tight end or a back out of the backfield or a slot receiver, somebody that's a little bit tighter to the formation so that you can get, you know, again, that outside receiver is the guy that's going to be running that clear out and kind of getting out of the way essentially yeah. so that that choice route has room. To it work. makes no sense to run a choice route when you only have two choices and that is straight up exactly. and in because you've got the sideline out. This is why really good corners uh, are good at using the sideline as a defender. Also why being uh, a nickel corner is a bit more difficult because you do have to defend those two way goes. Um, I, I try to not say nickel back uh, as often as I can because bad music. So let's get to uh, the next situation, which is trailing in the fourth quarter. Big picture. The Niners didn't trail a lot in the fourth quarter. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> it's, I love it, man. I love that kind of caveat. There were only 46 plays in our sample. We expanded the scoring margin in this place uh, because basically we're now we're looking at where the Niners were trailing by 14 points or fewer. We figured any more than that, you get in a blowout territory and it's just, there's not, you can't really draw a lot of learns from that kind of situation. Uh, nor do we really want to look at blowouts. That's boring. Uh, production. Yep. Not a situation anyone wants to be in, but the Niners were, again, middle of the pack, although they were a little lower, 17th in EPA per play, but their PFF team offense grade was a little better. 22nd overall in team offensive grade, but this is another area where Jimmy Garoppolo was not super great. 25th in PFF passing grade out of 34 quarterbacks with at least 30 dropbacks in this situation. Four of 14 on throws traveling 10 or more yards in the air. And it's a similar story here, right? There, There is definitely overlap with the two-minute situations, right? When you get into trailing the fourth quarter because a lot of times if you're in a two-minute situation in the fourth quarter, it's because you are trailing, right? That's really the only time that's going to happen. So you get a lot of overlap there, and, and that's why it's a similar story, um, both from Jimmy G's perspective and you know the offense as a whole, um, but also I think from a strategy perspective, from Shanahan's um, and, and the con concepts that he's calling, a lot of it is, I feel like, getting back to some of their simpler, more base concepts, stuff that... Um, he's confident guys are going to be able to execute at a high level because they've done them a million times because they were, you know, early installs and we've been running this since the beginning of camp. So it's, it's stuff that 
everybody's going to be comfortable comfortable with and it really is getting you know shorter throws for the quarterback and i think um you know it does that that's for two reasons i feel like one because we know a lot of their offense and and their skill position players in general is built on creating yards after the catch. And so you're getting the ball out quickly to these playmakers and hoping that they can um, just make stuff happen with the ball in their hands. And I think you have opportunity to do that because a lot of times in two minute situations, you're getting softer coverage from the defense to begin with, right? So that underneath area is just naturally a little bit more open. And so as you're working your way down the field, you know, until you really have to start taking shots at the end zone or, or pushing things a little bit more, um, you really can take some of those easy underneath completions and just let your guys um, get get a, a good chunk of yards after the catch because all of those underneath defenders really are they're starting deeper they're they're really getting great depth because you know they're just worried as a defense about keeping everything in front of them so they you get some freebies there yeah you, you take what the defense gives you and honestly you look at some of the the famous drives for the game winning drives that Joe Montana and Steve Young have had in their careers and. A lot of them start out with a lot of those underneath dump offs, getting into the running back, getting yards, matriculating down the field, taking what the defense gets you. Of course, eventually you involve a bigger chunk play, a deep shot or something like that. It's going to be required when you're going down the field, but it starts with a couple of those quick completions underneath to get things moving. So it's not surprising that that's going to be built in to a lot of the concepts that he calls. Now, the concept that we'll focus on here is a concept that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really upset about this name, frankly. As a Longhorn, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not happy about it. I knew that was going to I'm not on. happy about yep. it, but the, the concept's name is Aggie Now. And it's part of the drop back pass plays from an empty set. And basically, it's four verticals with a quick slant route. And, and you've got two players running go routes on the outside. These players are really unlikely to get the ball against most coverages, but it's really the two players along the seams that are running the other two verticals that are likely to get the ball here because they really threaten that safety, especially if you're in a single high scenario. But these are landmark routes, these seam routes. In, in the playbook, you see that they've got a little LM, which I didn't know what the hell it was. And then David's like, oh yeah, that means landmark. So David, what landmarks are those seam routes shooting for such that they are noted with the little LM in the playbook? And seam routes are often going to be landmarks, um, landmark routes in most playbooks, because really the, the important thing that you want to make sure you're getting out of those routes is proper like distribution, right? You really want to stretch that safety if you're in a single high look, which we're going to get to attach uh, attacking coverages in a minute. But the landmarks that they're shooting for, if you're on the field side, which again is the, the wide side of the field, um, you're looking for a spot about three yards inside the number. If you're to the boundary or the short side of the field, that's going to be pushed over to a yard inside the numbers. Um, and then the other caveat is if you do get, there is going to be an adjustment to that landmark and that route if you do end up with a too high look from the defense. So if they got two safeties sitting high, those routes are going to bend inside um, at about 10 to 12 yards because you really want to get inside leverage on that safety. So if you think um, if it's a quarters type look there and those safeties are right on top waiting for that vertical route, you need to get across their face so the quarterback actually has a window to be able to throw that ball. And so those are paired with the now route, which is basically what it sounds like. You win now. It's going to be an underneath route uh, that wins inside of the line of scrimmage. And basically, you're, you're attacking 
you, you take an angle underneath to the second level defenders and you stay on the move. You keep moving and, and that's going to be where the quarterback gets you the ball. If none of the verticals are open or if for whatever reason you are wide the hell open and you're able to, to kind of run in some space. Um, this is ultimately a coverage read for the quarterback. You're looking to hit one of the seam routes in most cases and then the now route is your outlet. Interestingly enough, in a lot of, in actually all of Shanahan's plays, he's obviously got the progression for the quarterback, his first read, second read, third read. In this play, all the verticals are one. All the verticals are your first read because this is a true coverage read. You've got to basically look to what happens with the four verticals and then make the defense wrong. This is one of the reasons why this play is so effective uh, and why even an air raid, they absolutely love this play. Four verticals is like an air raid staple. Uh, because it's basically like, yeah, let's just go ahead and throw at the guy who's open. We just don't know when he's open until he is. Did it stop recording again? Oh, you can just jump in and talk about how it attacks coverages. Because the the last point I said was that this is something that um, air raid offenses really love because it basically it gives you a lot of options for the verticals attacking coverages and you just basically always make the coverage wrong and and just you get just got to pick the right guy. Yeah, I mean four four verticals is one of those concepts um, that essentially every defense needs to have an answer for how they're going to cover it. Right? It's it's one of the things that if you listen to. Um, defensive coordinators talk about coverages and things like that. It's always like we need to have an answer for what if all of these guys, all of these eligible receivers run vertically, can we cover them? Because we we don't want to give up, you know, big plays down the field, that, especially on easy throws where we're just completely outnumbered. And so when you look specifically at what this does to coverages, you know, it, again, it's going to be great if you're in a single high defense. Um, without some sort of adjustment from that coverage, it is just incredibly difficult for that middle of the field free safety to do anything on, on any of those routes. Cause usually what the quarterback's going to be doing, right? So his coverage read is, is largely going to be looking down the middle of the field at the safeties. And so if you're starting with a single high safety there, the quarterback's basically just looking at you the whole way uh, as he's going through his drop back, right. To see if you're going to kind of cheat to one side or the other. Um, and a lot of times what they do, if the defense is trying to kind of uh, disguise their look a little bit and they're rotating safeties, the thing that they'll often do is throw to the side. So say, just for example, I've got uh, a safety that starts on the right side of the field and then he rotates to the middle after the snap to get back to that deep middle. They're going to throw the seam that attacks where he just left because it's really difficult for him to basically completely, he's got all his momentum going one direction because he knows he needs to, to get out of the disguise and get back to the deep middle so that he can be in position to take away the middle of the field. And then it's really difficult for him to just stop everything and move back the exact same way that he came. So a lot of times if you'd get that rotation, you're going to throw it to where the safety just left. But otherwise, even if he's just sitting in the middle of the field there, like the quarterback staring him down, if you cheat one way or the other, he's going to throw it to the other side. And so it's just a really difficult play for that safety to be able to make. So if you're in single high, odds are you're going to be able to hit one of those seam routes and, and get a, a big chunk play. Um, but even against too high, you know, again, we talked about it a little bit when, when talking about the seam routes, 
they're going to bend in once they recognize too high because they know they need to get in front of those safeties to give the quarterback uh, a lane to be able to throw to. So still can be effective against those, you know, probably not going to get the same sort of bigger chunk plays because you have a defender that's a little bit in, in closer proximity, but still options there. And then, you know, in man coverage, it really comes down to uh, very likely coming down to that now route underneath everything. Yeah, and that now route really is your option against man coverage, which gives you an ability to get the ball to a wide receiver in space and, and let them do the the yard after the catch thing. And it's a check down if for whatever reason, maybe you've got a, a cover four situation and all four of your verticals are covered. They've got someone over the top. No one's cheating. All of a sudden, you've just got to get the ball out and, and you get it to that now route. So this play is on display in week 16 against the Rams. Fourth quarter, about 722. It's first and 10. It's a seam throw. To Ross, smelly dwelly. His body's not even cold after the Jordan Reed signing, and we're already highlighting uh, his his post his posthumous play at this point, where it seemed like he lost his soul just a tad when he got hit after a 34 yard reception. But it's against the cover three versus the Rams. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo has a, a pretty good deep throw, one of the few throws that he completed over 10 yards. One of the few. <laughs> um, it was it was, it was was difficult to find this one, uh, but it went to our favorite, is it a Harry Potter character or a 49er player, Ross Dwelly? I was just going to say, was he one of the guys that was on yeah. that list? I feel like he was I'll one ne- of the... I'll never forget Ross Dwelly because of that game it. that we played that one time, where I basically said, is it a Harry Potter character <laughs> or, a Niner, or a Niner player? <laughs> uh, man, really one hell of a name. So Smelly Dwelly uh, will live in infamy, not just because of his proximity, the name proximity to Harry Potter characters, but also because he caught one of Jimmy Garoppolo's deep passes. So that uh, really wraps up the, the concepts and the, the really the situationals, the situational football for this episode. We covered two minute offense. We covered the fourth down or not fourth down, fourth quarter comeback and red zone areas. A lot of stuff here. I think kind of big picture takeaways, it's still a lot of the same in that Shanahan's going to use building blocks to put concepts on either side that are going to get his team in an advantageous situation. But I think the situations in this case are going to dictate the types of concepts he he likes to call. It's going to be shorter passes. It's going to be passes that he knows he can complete, passes that that he knows his team can execute very well because they're some of the base concepts that he goes back to over and over and over again. And, And these plays, I feel like, are a psychological grip, right? Like, what player do I know is going to succeed? What concept do I know is going to succeed? Because I need things to succeed right now because we are down or we're in the red zone or we've got to catch up. Yeah, right. They, again, really want to go back to basics. And and I would, like, it's funny when we look at big picture um, production across all of these, again, reminder, it was really good on the first and third down, kind of those more base situations where you're in really the bulk of your offense. And then in these these smaller, more specialized situations where you're not getting necessarily a ton of opportunities to call plays, you know, especially in some of these, you know, two minute, um, you know, trailing the fourth quarter, 49ers just weren't in a lot of those situations to begin with. So you're dealing with, um, you know, much smaller samples there and the production wasn't quite as good. And so I think you can spin that one of two ways, right? I think the the good way to do it is like, these situations because of those small samples are are a lot more volatile year to year. And so you can feel good that they were really strong in those base situations. And and that seems like something that's likely to continue year after year. And they're probably going to get a little bit more luck or a little bit better performance in some of these specialized situations that can boost that. So they could be even better offensively. Um, 
if you really wanted to go down the negative route, I think it's that like maybe it's a little concerning that the passing game struggled uh, a decent amount when they were put in situations where it was obvious that they had to throw. Um, I think that would be, you know, kind of maybe the concerning aspect of this where you would like to see a little bit of improvement from Garoppolo and some of his decision making there and um, not putting the ball in harm's way as much. So I think there is these are when, when you're looking at where things might change either for better or worse next season, you know, with the 49ers offense, I think these are the type of situations that you focus on and, and how that ends up changing from. Yeah. And, and we've talked before about how, you know, last season, the story was the team will go as far as the defense will take them. And the defense took them pretty damn far because it was one hell of a bounce back year for the defense. But I don't know that you can expect the defense to sustain that level of performance next year. You, you, we hope that they do. But in all likelihood, yep. they, they will regress just a bit. And, and even regression, even if they go back down from like one of the top two defenses in the NFL to like top 10, still a good defense. But that delta between best defense in the league and 10th defense in the league is pretty big. And it means that yep. for an offense, there will be more on your shoulders in order to execute, in order to get yards. You'll be behind a bit more. The situations will be a little bit different. And so I will absolutely have an eye on how the offense performs in some of these situations, because I, I do think that the volatility is important to note. I also think that it's important to note that in, in that 2017 year, Jimmy Garoppolo had a lot more coming from behind type situations and didn't perform as poorly. And so you've had, you know, th this is like the rubber match year. It's like you had some good plays in 2017. You had some, I don't know, not so sure plays in 2019. Like who's <laughs> going to win the third game, right? Is it going to be good Jimmy Garoppolo or not so right. great Jimmy Garoppolo? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, totally. Again, it could go either way. Um, and I think, yeah, the, these, and these are things that it may not even be something totally within the four hours control. You know, sometimes it is. And sometimes a lot of times you see the, the big swings in some of these specialized situations with smaller sample sizes, because like, if you're, say you're a coach and you're keeping, you know, you're the same staff, you're not changing coaches or anything like that, but say you're really bad in the red zone one year. Well, there's a good chance that you're going to self scout, at least over the off season, you're going to recognize or already know that you were pretty bad in the red zone. And you're probably going to devote a lot of resources in the off season and camp and, and everything. You're going to make that a focal point in your install and all that stuff to where like, Hey, we need to be better in the red zone. And so you put all this energy and effort and attention into it. Um, and then you're, you're likely to see some improvement there, right? When you're spending that much time on it. So I think you get a little bit of that, um, but just, you know, generally there's going to be, you know, when you're dealing with sample sizes of 40 some plays over the course of an entire season, there's just going to be some random shit that happens. Yeah. That's not totally within your control. And, um, sometimes those bounces are going to go your way. Sometimes they're not. And, and that can be though enough to your point, like when, if the defense isn't as good this year and, and if they take that step back and suddenly they're finding themselves in, in some more situations where they're behind and having to throw and those bounces aren't going your way. Like that's the difference in, you know, a, you know, a few games, maybe in the yeah. outcome of a few games and you're talking, you know, three fewer wins or something like that over the course of a season. So it definitely can build up and, and have a larger impact. All right. With the new playoff structure, the Niners will only need to win like six games to make it in the playoffs at this point. Because uh, like, you know. Right. What are we talking about? 2020? There's not even going to be a season. We'll see you in oh, 2020. No, I'm talking just about the expanded playoff field. 2020 is where you get the, the I think it's 2020, right? Where you get the now the expanded playoffs. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah the seventh playoff yeah, team. Yeah, so now right? only yeah. the first seed gets by, and basically everyone except for the Browns is going to make the playoffs, right? So 
it's it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. But uh, that about does it for this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. Remember that we will have videos of this on the Patreon. So if you want to see visuals of the plays that we're describing and the concepts, as well as some additional notes and coaching points about those concepts, make sure you go to patreon.com forward slash better rivals you can always follow me on twitter at better rivals david where can they follow you that will be at pff underscore david thanks again everyone for tuning in to our favorite month of the year and as always go niners before we go Let's talk about sports coming back and your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. That's right. It's the post roll. Before we close, let's tell you that Major League Baseball is back in action and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24 7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven time NBA champ Robert Ori. See what they had to say on what it'll be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Pandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds. David shaking his head. It's okay. It's fine. You love it. I know. It. I know. You love it. Yeah. Uh, visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. It's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts.